0: The following is a sermon from Faith Troy, a church located in Troy, Michigan. For more information and more audio and video content, go to www.faithtroy.org. today we are in our final week of our sermon series, Two Words. We've been studying throughout the summer the book of Galatians. Um, if you've if you've missed any of the weeks with us, I want to encourage you, you can go online to faithtroy.org, or you can search on iTunes for Faith Troy, and you'll be able to find um, a number of the sermons that, that you missed throughout the series. Also, if this has been a series that has been helpful to you, if, you've, if you really have enjoyed the book of Galatians and want to study further into Galatians, or themes of law and gospel have been new to you and you want to study those a bit more more. We have a number of books available in the bookstore in both of those subjects that, that you can dive deeper into. So I want to encourage you to check out the bookstore um, and you can get a number of resources if you want to spend more time this throughout the summer um, reading and studying those subjects. All of scripture can be divided up into two words, law and gospel. And so the Apostle Paul, he writes this letter of Galatians to a group of recovering Pharisees because they have confused and mixed and mingled these words. See, what the Galatians have done is as they began to believe that, that it was up to them. It was about their behavior, their obedience that determined how God saw them. And so they've misunderstood the law. The law is what exposes our sin. It's God's commands. And when the commands are spoken, they reveal our own sin. And so the Galatians took the law, and they believed that their behavior, their ability to follow the law, is what determined how they, where they stood with God. See so what they missed was the gospel. The gospel is what exposes our Savior. The gospel is the promise that our relationship with God is not based on what we do, but on what he has done for us. And so throughout this series on Galatians, what we have looked at is that these two words significantly shape our lives as Christians. It shapes where we put our hope, and it also shapes how we live our lives as believers. Now, if you've been following along with us in this series, there's something interesting that happens throughout the book of Galatians. As you read through the book of Galatians, Galatians chapters 1 through 4 really follow this theme of pressing hard on the gospel. But in Galatians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul switches in his tone a little bit. See, what the Apostle Paul begins to do in Galatians chapter 5 is he begins to shift into an application mode, asking the question, all right, well, what does it look like then for a Christian to live in the freedom that comes by the power of the gospel? And so what you'll notice is if if Galatians 1 through 4 is all about making distinct these two words in order to press hard the gospel, Galatians chapter 5 and 6 is applying what it looks like for us to live in light of the gospel. See, what the Apostle Paul understands and what is significant about him putting it in this order is that when he encourages us to live a certain way in Galatians 5 and 6, when he says to serve one another, when he encourages love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, when he encourages the relationships that we'll talk about in Galatians chapter 6, he does so understanding that the only thing that makes our obedience possible is the work of Christ that set us free. See, that, that is actually, that's the very reason why, why, we, why we chose the song we did for, for offering. Because that, this, what the song emphasizes is the heart of God for us. A heart that won't stop pursuing after us. A heart for God that stands by us no matter what. It's not dependent on our behavior. It's not dependent on our works. It's not dependent on our situation. But the heart of God won't stop coming after you. And, 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 and then what Paul does with that is the implications of that is it has significant impact then on your relationships. Because if the, if the heart of God won't stop coming after you, if, if the heart of God always stands by you, you better believe that influences your, your desire, your heart, your love, and willingness to stand by the people around you. And so what the Apostle Paul then does is, is, he, is he begins to unpack what it looks like, and he does it in this order because he knows that the law never gives power to do what it says. See, when the scripture says do this or don't do this, when the scriptures say serve one another, when the scriptures say love one another, if the scriptures say love your spouse, that doesn't actually give you the power to do so. The thing that gives you the power to do so is the work of God. It is Christ who gives himself for you and Christ who lives in you that actually empowers you to do so. And so by putting things in this order, the apostle Paul is actually giving you the very thing you need to do, you need in order that you might do the things he he says in Galatians chapter 6. If you could open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 6, verse, we're going to be in verses 1 through 10 today. If you're using the Bibles in front of you, it's on page 1000 816 in my house at any moment we might dance into we might break into a dance party now in our in our home my kids love a good dance party and so at any moment our family room gets transformed into the Grunwald rave and so what that means is immediately upon requesting dance party, dance party, um, which which is less of a request and more of a shout, um, the the blinds will get shut. My kids will proceed to find every single light in the house and turn it off to make sure no light creeps into the room. They will ask me to, to crank the music up, and, and then they will get out. I'm not I'm not exaggerating. They will get out our laser light show so the lasers can be going all throughout our family room. Now. Now there's something that, that, that you need to understand about the Grunewald Dance Party is I I might B, actually let me correct that, I am the worst dancer in human history. I, I cannot move, like moving my arms and my feet at the same time, just it, it doesn't work. I've had a number of experiences where I've been with our middle schoolers on a trip and a number of the girls were trying to teach me how to, how to do the whip and nay-nay and, and like, and they respond like you are, you, you're laughing like embarrassed for me and Embar- thank God my wife's not here, she would kill me. Um, because, but, like, I can't do it. But here's the beautiful thing about the dance party in my house. My kids don't care. No, eventually they will. Eventually, like that's not going down when when they're teenagers. But but right now, they don't care because the dance party in our family room is about the pure joy and celebration. It's it's turn up the music. We don't care what the music is, just turn it up and let's dance. I don't care if daddy can't dance, I don't, I don't care if mommy doesn't know how to dance, I don't the kids don't care whether whether their moves match even the beat of the music. It's all about the pure joy and celebration. And if you've seen a kid dance, you understand. And the joy that we see in a child dancing. Now, the reason I share this is when we talk about obedience. In Galatians chapter 6, it's going to emphasize very hard our obedience, and I think the way that we should treat obedience is the way a child ch- treats dancing. See, there are a couple ways that we can look at dancing. Dancing can be treated as an audition, Right? And in an audition, you dance in order to, to get judged, in order to be approved, in order gen- to generate applause. Or le- le- you can dance like a child, which is the, is the pure joy of celebrating. And so when we talk about obedience, obedience is not an audition for the approval of God. It's a response of celebration. Obedience is not an audition or a performance so that God might give you his applause. It's a response. It's the inevitable response to the joy of being with your Heavenly Father. You can't help but dance. And so as Paul talks about obedience, as Paul talks about our relationships with one another, may we dance in the joy, the freedom that God has given us. Not, to, not in order to win the approval of God, but knowing that we have been approved by God. And so in Galatians chapter 5, well, the apostle Paul began Galatians chapter 5 by saying, all right, and so now you are freed to serve. And so it's in this understanding that the, free, that the serving one another is not an audition, an audition for God's approval, but because we are approved, we use that freedom now to serve one another. When the Apostle Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, he's not saying bring those things before God so that God might make a good judgment on you. Paul's saying, no, the the result of the work of God in you is the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. The the, the fruit of the Spirit is the dancing that results out of the work of God. And so in Galatians chapter 6, Paul is now going to talk about our relationships. He's going to talk about our relationships with, with one another, understanding that the way we understand what God has done for us will inevitably impact the people around us. Let me read Galatians chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. It says, Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Each one should test his own actions. Then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else. For each one should carry his own load. Anyone who receives instruction in the word must share all good things with his instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. See, in Galatians chapter 6, what Paul is talking about and what Paul is suggesting, if we did what Paul suggests, it would dramatically change our relationships. In fact, even if if you might be here and you might not even not be a Christian today and there are a number of things in Galatians chapter 6 that you could apply into your relationships and it would just practically improve those relationships. Now Paul is doing this understanding that this is the overflow of what Christ has done us and that these two things are deeply connected. And so Paul is challenging us and making this encouragement to bear one another's burdens, to care for one another, to do good for one another. And he does this because he knows while our relationship with God is very personal, it is not individual. That when God created humanity, he created humanity to be in relationship with one another. And so when you and I become a part of the church, you and I are in relationship not only with God, but with each other. That when we gather around the Lord's table, it's not just what we receive from God, but it's being a part of the family that comes around the table. When you and I are adopted into the family of God, not only do we have a Heavenly Father who calls us child, but we have brothers and sisters who are a part of that same family. You now, when Paul makes these encouragements for our relationships, there are a few verses that I want to want re-highlight for us. Verses 3 to 5. Now, there's a number of things in these verses that, that are actually, um, if you take them out of context, they sound a little bit odd. Paul's talking about things like taking pride in yourself and carrying your own load. So it sounds a little bit weird. Um, but, but when we understand what Paul is emphasizing, it can begin to make sense. Because what I would suggest about verses 3 to 5 is if you took those verses out, verses 1 to 2 and verses 6 to 10, actually wouldn't be possible. Let let me reread those verses, and we'll talk about it a little bit. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Each one should test his own actions, then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else. For each one should carry his own load. See, what Paul's talking about here is a comparison trap. Right, the trap of comparing your goodness or your badness to somebody else. See, see, when Paul says, if anyone thinks he is something when he is not, he's talking about the vanity that comes when saying, all right, at least I didn't do what they did. Right? And, and keep in mind, Paul's writing to recovering Pharisees, who and Pharisees are well known for this kind of behavior, to elevate their own goodness and to, and to point out other people's badness. And so Paul says, if you begin to think you're good because you compared yourself to somebody else, check yourself. Look look at your own self. And so he says, each one should test his own actions. In other words, he wants you to look in the mirror. Be honest about your own sin. Because the moment you're honest about your own sin, you're going to be much slower to point out how you compare to somebody else. Don't take pride in how you compare, but look at yourself with honesty. Honesty. Because when you honestly begin to see your own sin, when you see yourself in light of the law, it also opens the door for you to see yourself in light of the gospel. Because when you understand your own sinfulness, you look to God for what only God can give to you. And the way that God sees you is not according to your behavior, but according to the work of Christ. By the death and resurrection, God see, when God looks at you, he sees not your sin, but he sees Jesus who died for you, and so what happens then in our relationships? Your relationships will be influenced by the way you see yourself. And so, if you if you compare yourself to other people and see yourself as better than other people, you will belittle them. You will abandon them because, because that's that's what happens. If you believe you're better, you're not going to bother forgiving them because, because surely they were in the wrong, and, and you don't need to give have time for that. If you, if you see others as better than yourself. You will begin to self-loathe yourself. And what you will begin to do is you will look for other people to give you what they can't give you. Relationships that operate out of superiority or inferiority are not how God designed our relationships to work. So how do you see yourself? Because that will impact your friendships, your own family, your church family, your community. So when you look in the mirror, as you see honestly your own sin, do you then also see the work of Jesus? Because his sacrifice means you are worthy. His love gives you all the security you need. When God calls you his child, that is the only identity that you need. See, when you see you the way Jesus sees you, it changes the way you see others. When you see you the way Jesus sees you, it changes the way you see others. And so when Paul talks about our relationships, this is what he understands. That God's work, God's love that is not merited by you will change you. A gospel-shaped identity will produce better relationships because the moment your identity is shaped by Christ, you stop looking for other people to give what only Christ can give. You stop looking for the security, the worth, the value in what they can give, and you find it in what Christ can give, and then you are freed in your relationships to love, to serve, to give, and to receive with no strings attached. Because you have everything you need in Christ. You don't need to rely on your friends, your family, or your work for your approval, your worth, or your identity because you have it in Christ. See, when you see you the way Jesus sees you, it changes the way you see others. And so I want to share three different ways that we can see in Galatians chapter 6 that we see a gospel-shaped identity changing our relationships. The first, the first way that Paul shares about in a gospel-shaped identity would be that restoration will take priority over isolation. Paul writes, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. When you see you the way Jesus sees you, restoration will take priority. See, isolation is always easier. It's always easier to remove yourself from the the hurt in the relationship. It's always easier to, to not talk about it. But when you see you the way that Jesus sees you, restoration will take priority. See, forgiveness cannot happen if you see yourself as better than the other person. But if you see yourself as a sinner in need of a Savior, forgiveness will happen. Because those who experience a lot of grace give a lot of grace. Now, Paul's not suggesting that there's not going to be hurt. He's not suggesting that this is going to be easy in your relationships. He's not suggesting that there's not betrayal. In fact, when he says that you should restore that person gently, he's saying that because he understands that there are going to be things that are going to make you want to scream. So he says, do so gently, because your goal is not to get back at the person, it's to restore that person, to rebuild the relationship. And why does that happen? Because that's exactly what Christ has done for us. That when our relationship with God was broken, it was so important that God didn't isolate himself from humanity, but he gave himself for humanity. That by the death of Jesus, he restored us to himself. And so when we see ourselves that way, it will give us eyes to see the people in our lives with that same kind of love. The second way that, that, that a gospel-shaped identity will change our relationships is comparison will be a trap we avoid. We talked a bit about this already when Paul wrote, each one should test their own actions. Now this is so important because we are experts at this. We compare everything. We compare our jobs. We compare our families. We compare our moral and social stances. We compare our houses. We compare the success of our kids, our families. But when you see you the way that Jesus sees you, there is no need for comparison. Because when your worth is secure by the work of Jesus, you don't need to secure your own value by how you you compare to somebody else. When your identity is based on what God has said about you, you don't need to compare yourself to others in order to make yourself feel better about yourself. See, comparison is a trap that always leads to losing. It leads to us losing, and it leads to the people we love losing. And so when we see ourselves the way Christ sees us, comparison no longer is necessary. The third way that we can see a gospel-shaped identity come out in our relationships is, is that their burdens will become our burdens. Paul writes, carry each other's burdens and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. See, when you and I see ourselves as one who's been adopted into the family of God, it means that we begin to see others as a part of our family. And so their hurts become our hurts. Their suffering becomes our suffering. Because that's what family does for each other. Families laugh together and they cry together. They celebrate and they mourn. They play and they suffer. And so when you see yourself as one who's been made part of the family of God, you will begin to see others as a part of that same family. And that means the things that hurt them hurt you. The things that break their heart break yours. And so Paul encourages us to do good for our family. And he encourages us to do that, not so that God might approve of us, but because he has. Not because it, by doing so we might get points with God. Not, not because by doing that God might give us applause, but because when we see ourselves the way that Jesus sees, sees us, we cannot help but then look around us and see people who are in need just like us. See, the reason you and I can bear each other's burdens are because Jesus himself bore our burden. Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy burden, and I will give you rest. Well, the moment that Christ carries and lifts your burden, you are now free to look around you because there are people around you who need some help carrying their burdens. That is what Christ created us to do in his church, to love one another, to carry each other's burdens. And Paul even even understands the difficulty of this. He understands that restoration is hard work. He understands that comparison is an easy way to get some validation. He he understands that burdens are heavy. And so Paul says, let us not grow weary of doing good. It's it's like he gets it. It's like, like he says, all right, I know what I'm asking you to do, but please don't grow weary. Because this is tiresome, difficult work. But Paul says, but at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. He's saying, it will be worth it. It's hard, but it's worth it. Because it's the very thing that Christ does for you. See, this is what happens when you see you the way that Jesus sees you. You will begin to see others the way that Jesus sees them. And so you will see their sin, you will see their suffering, you will see their hurt. And you will begin to respond the way that Jesus responds to you. In the same way Jesus responded to to one of his friends who was hurting, by, by weeping. You will sit and you will weep with the people in your life who are hurting. In the same way that Jesus promises to always be with you, perhaps one of the best ways that you can serve somebody in your life is promising to be with them. Not to say the right things, but to be present. See, when you see you the way that Jesus sees you, you will start to see others the way Jesus sees them. And so Paul says, let us do good to all people, not because God needs it from us, but because we all know people who need it. Because our family needs it. Our church needs it. Our world needs it. And then as Paul continues to close out his letter of Galatians, he then will circle back to the place he started the entire letter. See, Paul begins Galatians by saying grace and peace to you from our God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. He begins with grace and peace because that's what it's all about. And then as he closes the book of Galatians, he brings us back to the grace of God. Listen to what Paul writes in Galatians chapter 6, verse 14. He says, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. See, Paul brings us back because grace is what it's all about. Because Paul understands that without that grace, there is no forgiveness for when we fail to have the kind of relationships that God wants. And there is nothing that will empower us to live that kind of way. And so Paul brings us back and says, let us not boast in our ability to restore relationships. Let us not boast in our our ability to not compare and let us not boast in how we compare. He says, let us not boast in how much burdens we carry. Let us boast in the cross of our Lord Jesus. And he does this because that is how God sees you. Do you want to know how God sees you? Look at the cross. Do you want to know if you're worth it? The cross is how you you know what you're worth. You're worth that. You're worth his life. He gave up everything for you. That's how he sees you. And so Paul circles back there because he wants to close with the last thing on our hearts and in our minds to be the way that God sees us. God sees you as his own child, as worth his own life. And so Paul says, may I boast in that alone. And that will change the way that you see. It will change the way that you see you, and it will change the way you see the people around you. So Paul says, the grace of our Lord Jesus be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the grace that you give to us. We thank you For giving us eyes to see the beauty, the promise of the cross. That when we have sinned and when isolation would be easy, that you restored us to yourself. That when we are not worthy, that you continue to love us. That when our burdens are heavy, that you promise to carry them. Remind us of who we are in you. Remind us that you love us unconditionally. That you forgive us that you rescue us. And as we begin to see that more and more clearly, help us to see others the way that you see them. Help us to find the people in our lives where we can work towards restoration, where we can give forgiveness, where we can ask for forgiveness. Help us to, to no longer compare ourselves to other people, to find our security in the way you see us, not in the way others see us. And help us to find the people in our life who need help, who we can come alongside of them and bear their burdens, because it is that that you've done for each and every one of us. Jesus, help us to see ourselves the way you see us, and help us to see the world the way you see the world.